0: Well, welcome, guys, to Downtown Harbor Church. If it is your first time here, my name is John. I'm the lead pastor around here. Pardon me as I mess with this for a little bit. Okay. Anyway, how does that look? We got a lot of stuff here. Is everything good? Everything's good? Okay, fine. Uh, As Adam said, we are kicking off this brand new series that we are calling This Is True That Is Real. And I'm just going to be honest with you right out of the gate. This is going to be a challenging series. This is going to be a series that is going to get us thinking Very differently, actually. This is going to be one of those series that's going to push some of you, perhaps even all of you, outside of your comfort zone. Because over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about some topics that are not normally discussed in the local church. Sometimes they're even avoided, shunned, um, but we think these topics that we're going to be covering are conversations that should be had within the walls of the local, local church. Now, over the next few weeks, I want to talk to you guys about some important truths. Truths about God, truths about the Bible, truths about you, the world. These are going to be truths that I firmly believe mean something in the light of eternity. Now, here's the interesting thing about truths. Just because something is true, right? Just because something is true doesn't mean someone will hold on to that truth. In my experience with the local church, thankfully not so much here, but in my larger experience with the local church, I have seen many people just walk away from the truth. And it wasn't because what we shared with them wasn't true. It was. And it wasn't because we didn't share the gospel with them. We did. See, the the problem is how the local church handled the truth. And unfortunately, in our attempt as the local church to, to build their faith, because of the way we handled the truth sometimes, we actually dismantled their faith. Unfortunately, in our attempt to introduce folks to a big God, because of the way that we handled truth sometimes, we actually made him appear to be very small. Sometimes, in our zeal, to get people to say yes to what is true, we don't fight for the tension that connects truths to what is actually real. That maybe in some circumstances, we took this truth and we pushed this truth so far to one side that we actually divorced it from other truths that it needs so that people can understand why and how this truth is real. There's an illustration that I've used in the past to talk about this, and it's, it goes well with a rubber band. Now, if you just take a rubber band, right, and I were to just, you know, throw it at you, just like that, I mean, if I were just, oh, I hit him right in the head, okay? Not a problem, though. I mean, it just it doesn't really, doesn't really do much, doesn't really hurt, nothing really happens, I mean, he might, like, you know, get annoyed with me, but it's not a big deal, but, but, if I take that Simon rubber band, and I do this. Okay, now he's covering his eyes, okay? Okay, now it's a problem for him. If I have fired this off at you soon, you'd be telling your mom on me. Why? Because when you remove the tension, you take away the energy. Likewise, when you remove the tension from Christianity, you take away your influence. You actually diminish the truth when you remove the tension. And I know churches, I've seen it firsthand. I know churches where you'll have one group who will stand up and they will fight that the church needs to be more compassionate. Then you've got another group in the church that will stand up and fight, to be honest, this this, this church needs to be preaching the truth. And inevitably what happens with these two groups is they just split. And now you've got two different churches and all the compassion people go over here. All the honest, got to preach the truth people, they go over here. Now you've got two different churches, both of whom are missing something. They're missing the tension. The tension is necessary. God gave us tension so that we can know him in a much bigger and more powerful way. But a lot of us don't like tension. We don't. Because we think tension actually threatens the truth. But it doesn't. So we feel like tension competes with the truth, but it doesn't. We think tension waters down the truth, but it doesn't. Think about this for a second. The mercy of God, okay, the mercy of God doesn't water down the justice of God. It amplifies it. Our good works, Scripture says that we must be doing good works if you're a follower of Jesus, and we're going to get into that in this series. Our good works don't water down the grace of God. They amplify it. You see, tension doesn't diminish the power of truth. It's the lack of tension that actually diminishes the power of truth. I'd go so far as to say that tension doesn't make truth less true. It actually makes it more real. And so over the next couple of weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to embrace that tension. We're going to run towards that tension, not away from it, so that you can hold on to that which is true in light of that which is real. So with that being said, here's something that I know is true. Trust, look at these props. (laughs) Got a big prop budget here at this church. (laughs) Trust leads to stronger faith. I firmly believe this. Trust leads to stronger faith. The more you look to God, the more you lean on God, the more you realize that God can be trusted in every situation and with every aspect of your life. In fact, if you want to know God. I mean, if you really want to know God, if you want to have a relationship with God, you just got to start trusting God with the things of your life and his character will be proven true. Time and time and time again. Let me let me show you a good example of this. You guys know who this is? Okay. <laughs> All right, let's have a conversation real quick. So Okay. I made this you know, I make these slides, and I, I, was, I was showing the team the slides this week, and, and I put the statue of David up. Of course, you guys know this is the statue of David, one of the greatest sculptures in, in human history, and we're all very really aware of this. And I put this up, and someone says, You know, the screen's 85 feet tall. <laughs> Things might look a little big. And I was like, you know, that's a good point. I don't want to be a stumbling block. Like a, you know, I don't know what you guys are into. So like, we're going to, you know what? Let's just slap a perfect. Okay, so, but anyway. Michelangelo is turning over in his grave. Anyway, so this is the statue of David, okay? And this comes from, if you're not familiar, the backstory of this, it's very interesting. Um, it is from the, the story of, of David and Goliath. And Michelangelo actually carved this from one block of marble, a piece of marble that nobody thought it could be done. Anyway, interesting art history note. Before this statue was created, up until this point, every single, I mean, I'm generalizing, but most sculptures of David from this story are of David post-victory. After the battle's done, after Goliath is dead with his head lopped off, most of them have David holding the head of Goliath or or with his foot up on Goliath's head. But Michelangelo, when he heard this story, he believed that the real victory in this battle happened before the fight even took place. In the years prior, on the sidelines of that battlefield, I mean, what this is here, this is David before he walked out to fight Goliath. In my opinion, this is a sculpture of trust. For 40 days, For 40 days, Goliath, this nine-foot man, a soldier, was taunting the Israelite army. Morning, noon, and night, he'd walk out there. He would say, which are you going to fight me? Come on, send one person out. We're going to fight. And nobody was doing it. None of the soldiers would walk out to fight this man. Well, finally, one day, David, 17-year-old shepherd boy, is bringing food to his brothers who are on the front line, and he hears Goliath taunting them all. And he's offended, quite offended actually. So he goes to the king and he goes, King, don't worry about this Philistine, All right? I got it. All right, I'll go. will go fight him. Now the king hears this and he and he, he scoffs at him. He goes, I'm sorry, who are you again? You're just what are you? What are you? 14? Now I'm 17. Oh, you're just a boy. I don't know if you can see across there, but this guy's huge. He's like nine feet tall. This is a man of war. I don't know if you've noticed, but we've got about 40,000 Israelite soldiers here, grown men, battle tested. Ain't nobody going out there to fight this guy. Who do you think you are that you can go out there and fight this giant? But David persisted. He said, I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and I rescue the lamb from its mouth. It continues. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I've done this both to lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And what David says next Changed my life. And has changed my life in so many ways. What David says next is something that I lean on personally, and this could be a sermon for a different day, is something that I lean on personally every single time I walk onto this stage. With that giant in the background taunting, David looks to his king and says, The Lord, who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear, will rescue me from this Philistine. David trusted God in the past. David leaned on God in the past and God had been there for him. And it wasn't gonna be David's strength that was gonna take down Goliath. And it wasn't gonna be his skill with that sling that would take down Goliath. It was his trust in God that would take down that giant. It was in those fields years ago that David learned something important. David learned that the more you trust God, the more you know he can be trusted. And the stronger your faith becomes. For David, he trusted God that he would take down that giant. So what's your giant? What's that thing in your life? I mean, what would it look like for us to say, you know what, Lord? You've always been there for me in the past. I mean, I mean, it wasn't that there weren't any rough patches. Things were, things were tough at times. Things looked dark at times. Things looked scary at times. But you have always gotten me through it, and I am here today because of you. And because of that, I'm going to trust you with the things of my life. I'm going to trust you with my health, my family, my career, finances, whatever it is. I'm just going to trust you. And when we finally lean on God in all things we finally realize that he can be trusted in all things. And our faith gets stronger. Yes, trust leads to stronger faith. But here's something else that I know. And this is where the tension enters the conversation. This is where things start to get real and start to push up against the truths. This is something we don't like to talk about, Yes, trust leads to stronger faith. But doubt leads to stronger faith. Doubt, I don't know if this has been your experience, but it's certainly been mine. Doubt is treated like a dirty word inside the local church. Doubt is something that's to be avoided. You shouldn't talk about doubt. Don't even acknowledge it. Maybe at some point in your faith journey, you started asking some questions, and maybe you asked some questions to the wrong person, and you were told that you shouldn't ask those kinds of questions, but God gave you a brain, so you just can't not ask questions, and so you were promptly shown the door. See, we've always been told that doubt and faith, Mm -mm. they don't mix. And so when you find yourself in, in, in a time when, when, when you're you know, doubting God maybe or you're questioning something you read in scripture, it's just, I, I can't put it together, or you're wrestling with some truth, we're told that the solution is simply to replace your doubt with faith. Oh, thank you. But those of us who have experienced doubt, you know it's just, it's not that simple. Let me let you in on a dirty little secret Many churches don't want you to know, and if you told anybody I told her this, I'll call you a liar. <laughs> Everybody doubts. They do. Everybody doubts. You doubt. I've had doubts. Listen, I could give you things to doubt that you've never even thought about. <laughs> Keep you up at night. Here's the thing with doubt. It always shows up unannounced, doesn't it? I mean, I once heard a guy say, like, you, you don't go making a date with doubt. It's not like what it's smart. Saturday, you know what? I'm gonna wake up 10 a.m. and go to Starbucks, grab a blonde roast. I'm gonna doubt just like 30, 35 minutes. Go to Home Depot, pick up some flooring, maybe Bed Bath and Beyond. I don't know. I don't know if we'll have enough time, right? I mean, like, doesn't work like that. <laughs> doubt, doubt shows up unannounced and often, come on, when you least expect it, when you when you're not ready for it, and it sends you into a panic, doesn't it? does for me. Why? Well, because you've been told you shouldn't doubt. Or you've been told, you can't question that. And then when you do question that, the answer you've been given is, well, it's because the Bible says so. And yet, in spite of these amazing words of encouragement, here you are with your doubt. And you feel very alone. And historically, let's be honest, because churches have had sort of very little tolerance for doubt, what tends to happen is that those of us who find ourselves in this crisis of faith, we feel like we have nowhere to turn. We feel like we have no support system. And because the church isn't prepared or perhaps is unwilling to embrace the tension that exists when people start to have doubts, well, that person leaves their faith and takes their doubts with them. Maybe this is you. Maybe somewhere along the way, you're, you're, the questions just started mounting up, the doubts started mounting up. You had no one to speak to. When you asked a question, you were treated like a pariah. And so you walked away. And you left your faith behind you and you took your doubts with you. Maybe today, I don't know your story, Maybe today is your first day back in church in a long time, and you're actually a little nervous to be here. And yet when you look at Scripture, and you look at how Scripture handles doubt and doubters, I don't know about you, but it sure seems like to me God has a lot more tolerance for doubt than most churches do. I mean, the Old Testament, let's take the Old Testament for a second, it's loaded Packed to the gills with story after story of people who believed in God, who loved God, and yet struggled with doubt when it comes to God. I mean, take one story, Abraham and Sarah. I know many of you might not know this story, but these guys were like 90 years old. God says, hey, guess what? You're going to have a kid. They laugh at him. They literally laughed at him. And then it happened. But let's focus on the New Testament because I think we're a little more familiar with that. Here is something you may not know. All of Jesus' disciples doubted him. Now, you might debate me on this, and I'll debate you right back, because you go read the Gospels. I mean, really go back and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It is clear, it is crystal clear to me that none of them really believed. None of them really believed that Jesus was who he claimed to be until, and that's the key word, until they saw Jesus rise from the grave. Go back and look. Don't take my word for it. How many times does Jesus say, don't doubt, don't doubt, stop doubting, just believe, don't be afraid, fear not. I mean, mean, it wasn't until the resurrection that these men who had fear and doubt in their hearts were all of a sudden set on fire for the Lord and nothing could stop them. Take John the Baptist. Huge, massive figure in in Christian history, in in, in the history of the world. This is the guy who announced Jesus' earthly ministry. When he said, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. That was this guy. One day, he ends up in jail. And doubt binds him. And all of a sudden he starts asking himself, is this Jesus stuff real? I mean, is this this whole Jesus stuff worth it? I mean, look look what's happening to me in my life. And John the Baptist actually gets two of his own disciples, two of his own assistants, students, if you will, to go find Jesus personally and ask him, and I quote, are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for somebody else? Now that's some good doubt. Here's the best part. Upon asking this question, Jesus doesn't get mad and scold him. Rather, Jesus uses John's doubt as a teaching moment to lead him to a stronger faith. And then immediately after this admission of doubt, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, talking to the crowd now that was there, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Huh? Huh? wait a second, I thought we weren't supposed to have doubt. I thought we're supposed to pretend like it's not there. I thought we're supposed to push it down deep, right? Pretend everything's okay, and yet JTB over here, John the Baptist, is questioning Jesus' divinity (laughs) to his face. And then Jesus goes on to say, ah, that's the greatest guy ever lived. Do you know what this means? And this is huge, I mean, honestly, for some of you, This is what you needed to hear. This is is your God moment. This means that Jesus doesn't toss you out because you have doubt. Look at that bribing. I'm a Southern Baptist over here. (laughs) He doesn't get insulted. He doesn't write you off. He doesn't wash his hands of you. In fact, it's quite the opposite. When you read those gospels, Jesus would use all of these men. John the Baptist, The disciples, who were constantly doubting, Thomas, good old Doubting Thomas, I mean, that's his nickname. Jesus would use all of these men in ministry, even though they struggled with doubts at times. One thing becomes very clear, when I read scripture at least, and that's that God is interested in our hearts, not some phony relationship. And the truth is, sometimes what's going on inside of our hearts is doubt. And you can't, you can't hide doubt from God. And he's not asking you to. He doesn't want you to. And we may be afraid to bring our doubts to church. And honestly, folks, if I experienced what some of you may have experienced in your past, I would be afraid to bring doubts to church. You might be afraid to bring your doubt to church, but we never have to be afraid to bring our doubts to God. Go read the New Testament. Just go read it. God is not interested in condemning our lack of faith. He's very interested in restoring us and redeeming us. But here's where the tension exists, because it comes back. That can only happen when we open our hearts to him when we let this doubt that we may be struggling with at the moment or for days, weeks, months, even years, when we allow that doubt to lead us to a stronger faith. I actually think part of our confusion over doubt is that we've been thinking about it all wrong. Because we've been taught to believe that doubt is the opposite of faith, right? It's the opposite of faith, but it's not. Unbelief is the opposite of faith. It's it's hearing the gospel and going, I reject that, that's not true. Doubt is an integral part of your faith journey. It is something that needs to be understood, expressed, and used, most importantly, to drive us closer to God. I think we as a church, we, we, we we gotta start running towards doubt rather than running away from it and, and making folks who struggle with it feel like failures. Come on. We don't do that. We'll never see people's faith grow. Ultimately, I think the problem, and this is the tension again, is that yeah, trust does lead you to a stronger faith. But if we divorce this truth from what is real, that, that doubt also can lead you to a stronger faith, then, then we've removed the tension. We've moved to power. You see, doubt doesn't water down faith. It amplifies it. And if we continue, listen, if we continue to treat Christianity with kid gloves, if we act as though asking questions is going to make this whole belief system come crashing down like a house of cards, Then inadvertently, we have made a big God appear very small. And a strong faith appear very, very fragile. So what's the practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time here at DHC, every single week we put this word on the screen, because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So a couple of things for you guys to gnaw on. The first thing that I think we need to do as a church, I think we need to show compassion for those who doubt. Scripture literally commands us to have loving kindness for those who doubt. Good old book of Jude, we don't read that one much. You see, it's easy to judge. It's very easy to judge. It's very easy to condemn. It's very easy to look down you know, on doubters if they're sort of some second-rate kind of Christian. But according to Scripture, we have to have mercy on them. we got to show them loving kindness. we got to be there for them. we got to comfort them. we got to be building them up. I mean, if we want to see doubt lead to a stronger faith in the lives of our friends, in the lives of our family, in the lives of our children, in the lives of our neighbors. we got to love on these folks. we got to lift them up in these moments of doubt. We don't run from their doubt. We don't pretend like their doubt doesn't exist. We come alongside them. We partner with them, and we help them lead them back to Christ. Now, for those times when you do struggle with doubt, and maybe right now you're in a season where it's just, it's just, it seems like everything is collapsing all around you. My challenge to you would be this. Let your doubt drive you to dig deeper. So today I really focus on this idea that doubt can lead you to a stronger faith. But I wouldn't be giving you the full counsel of scripture if I didn't tell you that doubt, if not handled properly, can take you out. Having doubt is normal. It's going to happen. Trust me. But if you don't do anything with your doubt, if you don't actively seek God in those moments, doubt can 100% shipwreck your faith. So you've got to be proactive. In those moments where you're feeling it, in those times where it just seems dark, you've got to be proactive. You've got to do something. Come find me. Come find Christina. Christina. Grab a volunteer. Find somebody in your life that you that you can lean on. If you got a question about scripture, I you know I don't know. Maybe it's you're struggling with the idea of creation. Is yes, the word six thousand years old? Is it fourteen billion years old? If you're wondering if Noah's ark was real, if you're wondering where the heck the dinosaurs are in the Bible, okay, let's get to the bottom of it. Don't just wallow in it. Let's work together to find an answer. If you have got a situation in your life right now, maybe it's a divorce. A death, a loss of employment, something going on in your life that's causing you to question God's goodness? Share that. Get that out. Let's work through it. Jesus would say, as he would say to his disciples, effectively, what do I have to do? What do I have to do to bring your faith along? We all want to be that for you. So let's not let doubt take us out. Let's let it lead us to a stronger faith. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity that we could come here today and discuss these two powerful truths, Lord, that appear to be polar opposites but actually can work beautifully together. God, I pray for two things. I I pray that those of us in this room would, would have the courage to lean on you, perhaps in a way that we have never done so before, God. And when we choose to trust you in ways that we've never trusted you before, we can realize that you can be trusted. And our faith will grow. But God, in those moments that we are struggling with doubt, and Lord, I have to imagine every single person here has at some point because they're human. And doubt is not comfortable. And doubt is scary. And doubt can make you feel very alone. But I pray, God, that you would give us the courage to allow that doubt to drive us closer to you. Lord, that you would bring someone into our lives who can walk alongside us, who can lift us up, who can be our faith when we don't have that faith. And in the process, Lord, our faith can grow stronger and we can give all the glory to you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name.